Hi, I'm Kate Bailey. I'm a coach, an author, and a sober mama. And this is Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi and welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. And today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by the awesome Dufflin Lammers. And Dufflin is a relationship and recovery coach. And she's a writer and she's based in Paris. Um, and she coaches people remotely all over the world. And she's also a dear sober sister and a friend. So it's just a complete joy to speak to you this morning, Dufflin. So hi. Hi, good morning. It's a joy to be here. Yeah, how are you doing this morning? I'm pretty good. Uh, I had my had my morning exercise and my morning meditation and did my morning reading. So far, so good. I'm doing the things. Oh, the foundations. The foundations are in place. Unlike me, I got up at 6.30 and I was just like, something about on the phone. And then I've got my daughter has a call with her like a support worker this morning. So it's school routines a little bit all over the place. And I was just like, oh no. So yeah, we've had kind of quite different different starts to the day. <laughs> well, to be okay. fair, you were you were up before me. So you get uh, credit for that. <laughs> that's true. And also you've got an hour on me because you're Paris time and I'm yeah, yeah. So I'll just blame it on the time. That's fine. There you go. Um, so um, we're going to dive into the subject of Dufflin's speciality, her specialism today, um, love addiction. You know, we were having a little chat about this and just unpicking the kind of, you know, Love Sober being a podcast for the sober and sober curious. So we focus a lot on alcohol. But as we know, if we are going to something to cope, so we're using something in an addictive way, be it a substance, be it people, places, things, um, then we can develop addictive relationships with them and we can have cross addictions and we can also experience a kind of spectrum of this kind of condition just in the same way as we have you know alcohol use disorder you can be hazardous harmful you can be you know end stages needing detox you know so it's an all-encompassing kind of subject really with many nuances to pick out so if you know if you're listening in and thinking well you know that doesn't re relate to me listen on because we're going to be diving into yeah the nuances of it and the you know relationships boundaries and this, you know, we're built to connect, right? We're built to connect with other people and it can be really, really complex. So that's what we're going to dive into today. So Dufflin, thank you so much again. Um, can you just explain a little bit, just explain to us what love addiction is? Yeah, okay. So great introduction to the topic. And for me, love addiction has been described as a profound inability to bond with another human being. And when I think about that, I think about, okay, but when I was out there and I was, you know, chasing cowboys and, and, <laughs> right. And, um, chasing all sorts of unavailable men. Um, I thought, well, I, my, the problem is that I can't bond with another person. No, I can do that just fine. The problem is no one wants me. But that right there, that thought is actually part of 
the cycle of love addiction. It's part of what I believe about myself. I believe that I'm not lovable in some way, right? And the reason I'm chasing unavailable people is because I'm unavailable and I don't know it, right? So that's one of the big characteristics of, of love addiction. And I see, honestly, love addiction, attachment disorder, attachment wounding, codependency, um, I feel like these are different words for the same thing. Yeah, okay. So, and so how do we know then? How do we know if we are suffering from love addiction? Yeah, exactly. That's the question. So this is why I'm, I'm doing a webinar this weekend, a couple of them called, Is It Love or Is It Addiction? Because a lot of times it's really tough to know. And ultimately there is a spectrum, right? Um, the same way there is with a chemical addiction, with a process addiction, um, which is which is an addiction that has to do with behaviors, right? As opposed to um, the chemicals that are outside your body. So this is about the chemicals that are inside your body. And so we're looking at, okay, where are you on the spectrum of the normal functioning of relationships versus maladaptive behavior? Um, so if, for example, like everybody falls in love, right? And we all aspire to fall in love, which might be one of the big differences between a chemical addiction and love addiction is that, you know, most people don't aspire to become an alcoholic or a junkie, right? Like most people are not like, I hope I grow up to be that. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're using it to cope with something. And yet most people do aspire to fall in love someday. So it's tough to know, right? So when we look at <clears throat> where are we at on the spectrum, um, it's also important to realize that, you know, this, this may be something that, that escapes you. That's, it's really tough to know. I think it's a lot easier to see um, drug dependency than it is to see love addiction until it gets really, really rough. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so that's one of the things I'm going to be talking about this weekend is just some some really specific hallmarks of addiction that that you can that you can look at and they're going to help you figure out where you at on that spectrum. Because everybody right when we fall in love, we have this feeling of euphoria. That's the chemicals in your brain. Yeah. You know, that's the serotonin. That's the. um you know, the dopamine, um, the oxytocin. oxytocin. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like that's that <clears throat> yeah. feeling. What that, a cocktail, that, right? Exactly. Exactly. So we all experience that. It's um, when we aren't willing to move to the next stage in relationship mm -hmm. that we need to look at our behavior. And when we keep going back for more and more and more of that. Mm. Yeah, and it's so interesting because I was thinking about, I don't know what I was thinking about this the other day, but, you know, the TV and filmic and book, you know, the fictional and in pop music, you know, all the tales of love seem to be that kind of, well, they seem to be that first stage, the first flushes or heartbreak. It just, it's almost like we're fed this kind of diet of codependent modelling from... <laughs> from wider society what, what what are your thoughts on that oh my gosh a hundred percent and the funny thing is you know I mean obviously I'm American although I live in Paris I was in Los Angeles in the entertainment industry for 15 years and a lot of the people who are creating this material are suffering from this very thing 
You know what I'm saying? So when I listen to a, a pop song, I have to consider the source. Um, and and while you know it's easy to get wrapped up in that and it's catchy, right? And it's intriguing and there's drama. Like, yes, there has to be drama. It's a story. Mm. You know, um, it has to be high emotion <laughs> if it's a pop song, especially if it's some of these, you know, the ballads or the anthems, right, that we love so much that are the great big hits. Um, so it makes sense that someone is choosing those dramatic moments of life, but that's not what everyday life is like. That's not what a long-term relationship is like. Mm, yeah, it's like we want to see it on the TV. I was talking to Mandy about this yesterday because we're teaching the course on addictive behaviors and we were looking at that kind of fight flight response and, and all of that. And <clears throat> put this slide up and it was basically I was like yeah it's like every scene we want this we want to watch it on tv we don't want to live it right and there's a real difference yeah yeah amen <laughs> amen to that I mean and I and I think that's the thing is that someone who struggles to love and be loved which is mm. this is how I prefer to describe this right is rather than saying someone is a love addict um, or a codependent mm. I prefer to say I'm a person who struggles to love and be loved. Yeah. And someone who struggles to love and be loved is um, is possibly going to begin to believe that actually, yes, that's how love is supposed to be. And if it's not like that, they may walk away from something that's perfectly good and perfectly healthy mm. because they have the misinformed perception that, you know, that something's missing and that love is supposed to be these high highs and low lows. Yeah. Okay. So it's rewriting the narrative around the sort of drama of the, of the highs and the lows that that kind of like, yeah, the falling in love. And so there's, there's that side of it. And <clears throat> what other characteristics would we be looking for to, you know, for, for positive modeling almost mm. around this? <clears throat> Absolutely. Because ultimately, what we're looking for, we do want to connect. As you said, we're all wired for connection. And that's what we want, right? Um, even even people who are, you know, avoidant, they somewhere inside, they want to connect. Um, and yet, they're just not able to because of the fear of intimacy. And on the other side is the person who has the fear of abandonment. So usually, it's one or the other is mm -hmm. primary. Um, so we can look for that, you know, am I a person who's constantly having a fear of intimacy um, and constantly sort of backing away? Or am I a person who has a fear of abandonment, who's constantly clinging, right? And I can't get close enough. Um, I don't really believe that that people are going to love me the way I need to be loved. Whereas the avoidant person believes no one's ever going to be loved, able to love me and care for me the way I care for myself. Mm -hmm. So don't bother, right? So we can kind of see those two um, sides of the coin and they can both be present in the same person. There's, there's no reason that, that, you know, a person can't be both um, a love, love, suffer from love addiction and also love avoidance at the same mm -hmm. time, depending on what relationship they're in. So there's you know something like, yeah, there's, there's the, the kind of knowing your attachment style, the avoidant or the, or the whatever it is, the anxious, isn't it? So the anxious or the avoidant attachment size. So it sounds like there's some work around knowing, at least knowing that, right? If we if we have some awareness of that, then we start to be able to think, well, actually, what, what can I do with that? 
Yeah, absolutely. Because the person who is constantly pushing everyone away needs to step forward. And the person who's constantly clinging needs to step back. Right. And what often happens is that those two people end up in a relationship together. Yeah. Right. Because <laughs> Pushing each other's <laughs> buttons, making each other really miserable. <laughs> exactly. Um, and because it's interesting the way that that, that that operates, the person who's avoidant or dismissive, um, the way that they connect is they seduce, seduce, seduce. And the moment they think they've got you hooked, they begin to back away. So, so in those initial stages of relationship, which, like I say, in even for normal people, there's that euphoria, there's that I, I feel like I've known you all my life. Um, you know, all of all of those feelings that come for everybody, except that there's this other dynamic going on underneath it that we don't realize until we're, you know, a few weeks or a few months in usually. Right. And, and by then um, we're hooked, you know, so one of the things I advocate for, for people who struggle to love and be loved is to go really, really slow. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that you're seeing the underlying patterns and that you're, you know, you're seeing someone for who they really are rather than seeing their, their representative or rather than seeing, um, you know, through those um, hormone goggles. <laughs> the hormone goggles. I love those. I've now got an image of the hormone goggles with like they've got stars all over them and hearts. They're like bursting heart emojis. That's such a brilliant image because it's true, isn't it? And there's that, I guess, you know, what I'm hearing immediately, I'm hearing a gender piece there, you know, because of women's hormones and attachment, right? So, in a way, would you would you agree with that saying I read somewhere that you know if we have sex with someone we bond is that true and that, mm -hmm. that men don't in the same way so this is sort of you know even more pertinent for women by the sounds of it but I'll throw that out there as a question absolutely um oxytocin which we talked about before is the bonding hormone and so when we have um when we share our body with another person that hormone is released and it causes us to feel those feelings of closeness right and bonding uh which is necessary for the you know procreation right and the continuation of the species so that's a biological function we don't have any control over whether that happens or doesn't happen mm. and if you um share your body to the extent that you have a climax an orgasm um then that is multiplied and especially for women mm. Um, so what happens as a result I, is what I call dick fog, right? Which is similar to, <laughs> to the goggles, right? So <clears throat> you're, you've got this dick fog and you're like, I am so, I just think all I can see is my Prince Charming, right? Because it, it, that's what it does. It's, it, it makes everybody into Prince Charming. So instead of kissing frogs and turning them into princes, like this is what Double we're doing, right? But that, yeah, that's the, yeah. But this is the metaphor, right? Yeah. Um, this is the metaphor, and and I think, you know, a very apt one. Mm, that's such a, oh, I love that. I love that kind of, you know, that's immediately piqued my myth interest. But I love, yeah, the dick fog and the, and the goggles. And so what, so going slow, going slow is is essential. Knowing your kind of attachment style, 
will give you an idea of how to almost, I guess, titrate or to play with, play with your style, experiment with your style, right? Um, and Duffin is nodding at me. You can't hear that. <laughs> nodding at each other. But um, what else? And what else can we? Can, what else have we got to work with? I feel like one thing that's that's really important is knowing what health, healthy intimacy looks like and knowing what secure attachment looks like. And if that hasn't been modeled for us, sometimes we just don't know what that looks like because that's not going to make a great blockbuster movie necessarily, right? Sadly. Um, and nor, you know, are, are there great novels, you know, written about that? Um, so, and if it hasn't been modeled for us in our family of origin, then we need to learn. Okay, yeah. so what is healthy intimacy, you know? And we may have the mistaken idea that healthy intimacy is like, everything's gonna be perfect all the time. We'll always be honest and um, and we'll always behave, you know, in the way that the other person would like for us to behave. And that is just not true. We have to realize that real intimacy is messy. Yeah. Um, real intimacy means that, yes, yeah, sometimes we make mistakes, but we repair quickly. Mm right? If we did mess up and we told a lie, we go back and we say, you know what, I'm sorry, I wasn't honest about this. And here's the real truth. And here's, you know, what's going on with me. And, you know, and you make amends, you repair, right? Mm. Um, whereas the toxic intimacy that we often do see in one example I like to use is um, sex in the city. Yeah. So, right, Carrie and Big, here was an obviously toxic romance and yet we watched it for seven or eight seasons and because because there was always that push and pull that come here go away right sometimes at the same time you know it's someone saying come here and go away at the same time mm. um and the problem isn't necessarily that carrie was toxic or that big was toxic the problem was that she kept taking him back mm. right instead of moving on um and so they got into this cycle, right, where there was constant betrayal, constant dishonesty, constant ruptures in the attachment relationship. And so they're living in the state of fight or flight all the time, mm. right, which is just not healthy. Um, so we need to know what healthy intimacy looks like. And then we need to know what, what does a secure person, how does a secure person behave? Mm. And a secure person, when you're first dating, is going to like spot smoking guns really quickly and walk away if they're like oh nope nope not not up for that um a secure person is going to have the outlook that there are lots of possible partners that could make them happy um a secure person is coming from the position that um things usually work out for me right i'm okay you're okay things are okay Mm. right they're not they're not like ecstatically happy all the time but but they have a certain stability mm. which many of us who struggle to love and be loved and and who struggle with any kind of addiction will find that boring we're mm. like oh but he's so nice it's boring um and so this is why, you know, if we go slow, we also have the opportunity to fall in love with the actual person instead of falling in love with love, which don't get me wrong. I, I am in love with love, just like everybody else. <laughs> I am. And at the same time, I know um, that if I want to have the kind of 
deep intimacy and connection and secure attachment that I truly crave that I have to slow down and give it time and actually fall in love with an actual person. Yeah, I love that. Very, yeah, very clearly explained. And um, I'm wondering as well, what then, what has this got to do with alcohol use disorder? So love that you asked that question because I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) So here's the deal. Um, When we have any sort of uh, an addiction, we're a lot more likely to be cross-addicted. And you know that as well as I do, right? Um, And when we talk about cross-addiction, we also talk about, okay, which one is primary? And what that means is which one came first, right? So if I have been... Um, anorexic from the age of 10. And then I started drinking when I was 25. Well, then the anorexia is primary, right? Um, And we also know now that trauma is one of the primary causes of addiction that many people see addiction itself as a symptom of trauma. Yeah. And right. And um, attachment disorder, attachment wounding, attachment trauma, which is also developmental trauma, like those are all different names for the same um, set of conditions. So that happens in when you're very, very young, right? Your attachment system is complete by the time you're two years old. So it's very difficult for that to not be primary, mm. right? So, um, so if we're looking back on and there's also relational trauma, so it could have happened later, and that yeah. may be what's causing you know the issues. So each person has to look at, you know, as we talked about, where they're at on the spectrum and also where this began for them, their own timeline. Yeah. Um, right? but but it's really very common for someone who struggles with any type of an addiction to have either complex PTSD, or developmental trauma, or some sort of relational trauma. And that's what's playing out when we have this struggle to love and be loved. Mm, Yeah, and I, yeah, just basically uh, kind of describing my 20s, do you know what I mean? I don't know why. I'm just But what I want, it's really interesting because I, you know, obviously I've done my, I am doing constantly my work and, um, you know, sort of trained trained as a coach as well and so putting this together over the last few years myself um I found it very interesting and like you said the trauma piece is just such need to know intel about that dysregulated system which will then try to soothe and attach to something right so even if you don't you think back and you go think oh I haven't got trauma but you know if you chronic the chronic stress as well you know we're trying to attend uh, you know regulate ourselves with other people or with substances and it's just like oh god it's such powerful knowledge this stuff but I you know I always say I you know I didn't have a roadmap of attachment when I was growing up to men at all I have no secure roadmap of attachment to any man in my family 100% now in my 20s I find this really interesting because I've been married to my husband for like I don't know for about a million years so we met in our 20s and we went through quite a bit but in my 20s as well, I moved, I had the, the good fortune to, meet, to move in with um, a couple of friends. 
and my, my friends, John and Kirsten, and I lived with them for seven years. And they were married. And I, I know now, I've, I've described this, they modelled proper intimacy in their marriage, their relationship. It was like I was like the teenage in my 20s. And I watched them. I watched how they sorted things out, how they were chilled, how if they hadn't, yeah, there were boundaries, there were arguments, but we, you know, reparation, like you said. So I love what you said about the fact that we can kind of learn this stuff. You know, if, if it did go wrong, at an earlier age sort of you know say in your teens or whatever because shit happens it's like you I, I think what you're saying and what I've experienced is there is hope and how we access that hope yes yes absolutely uh I feel like you know what what a lovely story that you shared by the way like that's just so beautiful um that the universe gave you this gift of being able to see this other couple modeling secure you know intimacy and part of what what we want to see with that is the reciprocity right the give and the take and um, the way they show up for each other the balance um and the flow between between two people and and what that can look like so absolutely that's one way that we can heal is by okay look for um secure relationships right and see what that looks like and model on that if you you know if that's not what was given to you um another way to to learn about how to have a secure relationship is to get into a relationship with a secure person mm. Right, which is it's a tough ask for some of us. So do we just have to go and, and date someone we find really, really boring? We're like, that's <laughs> the one. That is the one, right? You're gonna teach me. It's that you know, I mean, it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt if you you know, if you can attach to a secure person, you're gonna become more secure. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I feel like too, there there just are a lot of opportunities when it comes to how do we heal this. Mm. There are lots of different ways to do it. There's not only one way to do it. Um, I use the ideal parent figure protocol. Lots of people do reparenting in many different ways, um, and and I think the somatic um, practices, you know, and and healing modalities are really important with this as well because it's partly about healing the trauma you know and and that has to be done through the body um and through the breath right and so i think there are lots of different ways to to come at that mm, i love that that sort of reparenting work and um you're making me think of the work as well of um the self-compassion stuff from say dr Kristen neff and i know what was foundational for me in in my sober journey um, and I've told this story a few times, but my last day one touch wood and everything, I'd done quite a bit of sober time back and forth, but I found um, Tara Brack's reign of self-compassion. And um, I listened to it on that day where I was just broken. And it took me through a process of recognize, allow, investigate and nurture. And the nurture piece, I had never learned how to do. I could identify emotions. I could go, that's what it is. And then it was like, right, come on, crack on. I'd never just sat there and gone, I'm sorry, it hurts, sweetheart. I'm here for you now. Like I'd never, never, never put that piece together. And it broke me open. And it was like, oh. And then someone said to me, that sounds like you're reparenting, you know? And it, it felt like that. It was like, oh, I found little Kate. Um, but I, but I, you know, that was, 
obviously we need to kind of often do a lot of that work with another professional right and you're trained in this you know very well trained in this field so what would you say to that you know what can what can we do on our own and what would we you know go to a professional for like yourself one of the best things to do on your own is any kind of meditation because that will help you become a better self-regulator and the more that we can emotionally self-regulate the more that we can be present for our relationships, the more that we're available for intimacy and controlled vulnerability, right? And that we're able to share ourselves with another person if if we can self-regulate. Um, and for me, meditation has been huge and there are lots of studies about that and the value of meditation. Not everyone can do meditation. So, you know, I, I think um, there are other ways to meditation, right? Like you, you could have a vinyasa flow, which is quite fast, could be a way of not quite so confronting as a sitting, breathing meditation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, different things work for different people. Mm -hmm. um, I love the Osho dynamic meditation, which is also very cathartic. Um, and this is one where you're doing some breathing and moving breath work yeah. in particular is also really great for that. Um, you know, so, so the more that we can just kind of have a foundation so that we can regulate ourselves, the more prepared we are to do the work, you know, because I like to say I work from the outside in and the inside out mm. and the outside in is the part about the boundaries, right? Which are super important about saying, okay, these are the things I will and won't mm. do. And then it's also, you know, when it comes to coaching, it's about um, goals and accountability and mentalizing, which is thinking about thinking and collaboration. And that's one side of it. And then um, working from the inside out is where the ideal parent figure protocol comes in. And that's basically a guided meditation where I'm walking a person through the different stages of attachment and allowing them to experience that with imaginary parents so that they develop a new internal working model so that's the way that i do it but i believe that irregardless of who you work with having someone to hold space for you while you do this is incredibly powerful i do the ideal parent figure protocol myself mm. i receive that treatment still because it's so awesome and i love it <laughs> um i have it at one o'clock today and uh, and we always record the meditation so I can listen to it again later, but it's never as powerful as it is when there is another human being sitting with me. I love that. You know, I love that. And do you know what I love as well, Dufflin, is that, you know, we are two women in recovery. And there's, I think there's a lot about the, the crossover as well with, um, you know, with this addiction, with like sort of alcohol and with the love addiction that somehow I will be fixed somehow I you know I'll do something and then I'll be fixed and then I'll be done and part of that narrative feeds into that but you know what I've got therapy after this I'm going to EMDR and I'm doing internal family systems you're having it it's like it's okay to say that part of our self-care part of our recovery is that ongoing care of ourselves where we need that secure attachment with of the you know professional space holders you know but but we're 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 having that receiving that ourselves and I love that absolutely I mean I'm I'm one of those where I, I'm a lifetime learner and I believe in personal growth you know and 
and I'm not, um, I don't see myself as an expert. I'm, I see myself as another person on the path, you know, and if I can walk beside you for a while, then both of our journeys will be enriched by that. You know, I learn as much from my clients as they do from me. Um, right. It's just that I, I might be a step or two ahead of them Mm. and, and that's it. Uh, but yeah, I think there's a lot of connection when it comes to, you know, drugs or alcohol and this, this idea of like, someday I will be fixed. I mean, this is one of the core sort of fantasies of the woman who struggles to love and be loved is like, someday somebody's going to come along and love me the way I always wanted to be loved. And the truth is, that is unmet needs from childhood. Mm. And we can't put that on our partners, because our partners are not ever going to be perfect. They're human, they're going to fail, there are going to be ruptures. Mm. You know, uh, unfortunately, this is this is the messy intimacy, right, that we have to learn to tolerate by doing our meditation and our work. But Um, we can have the experience of perfect care in our imagination with ideal parents. And this is why I love that specific modality, because I, as a coach, um, am going to fail my clients sooner or later. Mm -hmm. I will, I will, because I'm human, I'm going to mess up, right? My therapist is going to mess up, right? My yoga teacher is going to mess up. They're human. Yeah. Right. But imagination creates new possibilities and within the imagination we can have that perfect care that we always wanted so if we give ourselves that then we're not looking for it in everybody else yeah so just tell us before we go i'm aware of time just tell us about what you've got coming up this weekend and then how it feeds into your your program as well yeah so this weekend um october 8th 9th and then also again on the 19th i'm doing a free talk um which is called is it love or is it addiction where i'm going to break down the four hallmarks uh, to look for the mindset shift that every woman goes through when she's done with the bs uh and uh the number one way to know like just super simple really easy number one way to know if this is what you're struggling with and um and so that'll be just a, a simple one hour talk. And then that leads into my six week group coaching program, which is called Heartbreak to Healed, which is where we go really in depth. And each woman has the opportunity. It's all, by the way, most of my work is women only, self identified women only. Mm-hmm. Um, so each woman has the opportunity to identify, as we said, where is she at on the spectrum between normal behavior and maladaptation? And um, and I'm asking really, really specific questions. So we're not going to miss anything. So this is, you know, an opportunity to create a real foundation for the kind of secure intimacy that we all want. Mm. And we'll put that in the show notes. And I love the fact that it's so specific and you can tell because it sounds, you know, what we're talking about is a lot of this can be very confusing. It can feel confusing. It can feel yeah so the fact that you can break it down and there's real kind of tangible kind of points that you can pull out um and I also know because I have done recently I've done a workshop with with Dufflin around boundaries and you know you do hold space so beautifully and capably for people like I felt completely safe in your workshop um and it was super super um you know, super useful and informative, you know, and tangible tools. So I can 100% vouch 
vouch for for Dufflin. So check her out. Go to the free talk. See if it, this chimes with you. See if this is something that you're working on as well. You might be listening out and thinking, yeah, you know, alcohol, booze, this has been the issue. But maybe there's something chiming as well there that you're like, oh, okay, this is something else. This is part of it. So, you know, she is, she's awesome. Thank you for so much for coming on. So before, before we just wrap up, just give us can you give us three top tips, three top tips for kind of looking after yourself in relationships, just for anyone listening in? Mm, thank you so much, sweetheart, for your kind words. I really, I really appreciate that. It, it touches my heart. Uh, so three top tips for, you said three top tips for relationships, basically. Yeah, looking okay. after yourself okay. in a relationship. Looking after yourself in a relationship. Okay, so number one top tip for looking after yourself in a relationship is maintaining your own self-care it often is the first thing to go right mm. um and i'm guilty of that as much as anybody um you know uh, oh i'm only going to meditate once today because i need to go see my partner um maintaining our own self-care in any relationship is primary because you can't give what you don't have you can't pour from an empty cup uh, so i'd say that's number one thing um Number two thing for looking after yourself in a relationship is have a voice. Speak your truth. If you can't speak your truth to this person, who can you speak your truth to? You, you gotta, you gotta say this, say the unsayable, say it, just say it, be brave. Um, and I think number three, um, is, is something about, I think, and this is especially for women giving yourself space giving yourself time, not hurrying, um, and, and, uh, and allowing yourself to relax a little. Um, because in that space, we can be much more in our flow, we can be more available, and we can feel the love that may very well be coming at us. Like sometimes the love is there, and we're just like <laughs> deflecting it, right? So <laughs> So relax and take it easy and don't deflect the love. Don't deflect the love. I love that. <laughs> That's a pop song. Don't deflect the love. That'd be not a codependent pop song. Um, so just before you go, what's your reason to love sober today? Uh, you're my reason to love sober today. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know whenever whenever we chat, I think like we are like I always say to uh, man, you know, like the mirror neurons and all the kind of like the happy hormones like really light up when I speak to you. So it's been an absolute joy. I feel the same, and such a joy to speak to you. Thank you for sharing your you know your humor and your your generosity with us today and all your you know your information. So we'll put everything on the show notes and yeah, check check out Dolphin. She's awesome. Um, you know, if you're struggling, just send up a flare info at lovesober.com um, and or just find your fit, you know, find a sober community that chimes with you. There's lots out there now. So know that you're not alone and see you next week for more chat. Mm -hmm.